Well, good morning. On Friday of this first week of Advent, we continue as we have throughout the week in reading from Isaiah, enjoying his great prophecy, as well as Matthew. And in Isaiah today, we're reading from the 29th chapter. We, that chapter subdivides in some uh, translations and editions of the Bible. There's three sections to it. There's this judgment and deliverance of Jerusalem and Isaiah's description of that. This is within this one chapter. The blindness and perversity of the people, like the blind men in today's gospel. And then uh, redemption. And so the, we hear today from the section, subdivided section of this particular chapter of Isaiah called redemption, these beautiful words, surely in a little while, Lebanon shall be changed into an orchard. And if you're familiar with the topography and climate and geography of the area, that's it's a somewhat mountainous region. Mount Hermon is there. And uh, to imagine those, those granite and dry hillsides to be this lush orchard, olives or oranges, Mediterranean fare, is a beautiful image in our mind. Surely this will happen, we're told. On that day, the deaf shall hear the words of the scroll, and out of the gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Isaiah tells us that today. The eyes of the blind shall see. And appropriately so then, in Matthew's gospel, we're in the ninth chapter, and that's the story, isn't it? That our Lord is making his way, and uh, he's making his way. He's in what's called the Galilean ministry. This ninth chapter sits within the section 8, 9, 10, and 11 of Matthew's gospel. And it's in these chapters 8 through 11 referred to as the, the... ministry in Galilee, there's just a series of healings that take place, and most of them are physical healings. They're physical healings. In fact, immediately preceding this story of the blind man is the official's daughter and the woman with a hemorrhage, and immediately following the healing of the two blind men is the individual who's mute. So we have this sequence of physical healings that our Lord offers, and uh, their manifestations of his glory, his manifestations of him as son of God, able to bring this type of observable healing into his life. If we reflect on that for a moment, again, it helps answer the question which we've contemplated in other masses and homilies, which is how is it that Christianity spreads so fast in the immediacy of Christ's resurrection and ascension? How did that happen, given the fact it was punishable by death to be a Christian? It's because people like these two blind men, people like the man who's mute, people like the, the official whose daughter is healed, people like the woman with the hemorrhage for 12 years, people who were physically healed by God are living. And so people could talk to them. They could interact. Hey, weren't you blind? Yeah, I was blind since birth. And now you see. I see perfectly. What happened? Jesus, son of David, came along and I cried out to him and he touched my eyes and he healed me. And Matthew gives us that story. As Jesus passed by from there, two blind men followed him crying out, son of David, have pity on us. Son of David was the name of the Messiah. The son of David will be the Messiah. So they're already acknowledging him as such. When he approached the house, the blind men approached him and said, do you believe, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe that I can do this, heal you? And they said, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and said, let it be done for you according to your faith. And as I was reflecting on just this passage, we call that a pericope, a pericope in, in scripture, this passage. I noted that in this 
passage from Matthew and the one immediately preceding it, there's the writer Matthew says, and he entered the house, and he entered the house. He entered the house of the official whose daughter is sick. He enters a house, he says, when he entered the house, the blind men approached him. We don't know which house, but he entered the house. And I thought, how beautiful is that? The Lord enters the house. He enters the house. He does that quite frequently, doesn't he? He enters the house. Here we are assembled in the house of God for the sacrifice of the mass. And he enters our house, our home, that we make available to him for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If we call to him, he enters our house. Hence that language we have from other gospel narratives. Knock on the door or open the door. He stands before the door. Let him in. And we have this great compassion, the Lord responding to the physical needs of these two men, but more importantly, responding to the eternal need as he does for us. Let it be done to you, or let it be done for you, rather, according to your faith. Let it be done for you according to your faith. And our Lord does, and sometimes those prayers are answered in ways that we don't understand right away. We, we pray for something, it could be a specific healing, in fact, and it's answered, but it's answered in a way that wasn't to our limited human expectation or understanding. So as we offer our petitions in prayer, which we should do daily, and continually bang on the door of heaven, which we should do daily, know that, that our Lord hears those prayers, and that he'll respond to them in a way that we may not be expecting. Our saint from this day, John of Damascus, is a very interesting individual. He came into this world in the uh, seventh century, 675, he was born. He would go to his glory in, six, in 749. He's born in Damascus. Uh, Damascus in the 630s had become uh, overwhelmed by the Muslim uh, forces that had moved through there. And so Damascus had become a Muslim city when John is born. And his father, living at the time of the Muslim invasion of the city, uh, was kept on. He was an administrator in the Byzantine government, and so he remained. The caliphate kept his father employed as an administrator in the government, which was very common practice, by the way, as the Muslim armies would take over cities. They kept many of the administrators, the Christian administrators, in, employed and in place because they were very good at what they did. And so that happened with John's father, and by consequence, John uh, likewise advances into uh, employment. He works directly for the caliph in in Damascus, but while he's serving the caliph, he's also writing these beautiful works on the Blessed Virgin Mary. And he is, uh, in the Eastern Church, considered a peer, not by time, because Thomas Aquinas lived 600 years after John of Damascus, but he's considered a peer of Aquinas in terms of the theology and theological writings and development. He's a doctor of the church, in fact. He's called the Doctor of the Assumption, by the way. He's the Doctor of the Assumption. Look on that stained glass window, you think of John of Damascus, because he's written beautiful works on the Assumption of Blessed Virgin Mary. He's the last of the Greek fathers. We also have this great privilege here in St. Thomas, because we have behind us the icon of uh, Our Lady of Perpetual Help. That's actually a 13th century icon, but John helped us understand the debates taking place in the 8th century about icons because there was a divide in the church as to whether or not it was appropriate to uh, reverence icons. Was it okay to reverence icons or was that some kind of ideology? 
and, uh, or idolatry rather, some kind of idolatry. And John gives beautiful language that explains how the person doesn't reside in the icon, it's just a reminder of the presence of the person. And that was an important debate. So when we look at this beautiful image that we have here, this icon of Our Lady of Perpetual Help, given in 1886 to the Redemptorists, that's why it's here, uh, we think of John and his beautiful explanation of how an icon can inspire us but the presence of the person is not within it. The presence of the person is around us in this spiritual realm in which our Lord, Savior, angels, and saints reside. So they're present to us. Our Lady of Perpetual Help is present to us. That's why we so beautifully recognize that and offer that reverence every Tuesday. The icon helps us engage in that moment. The woman is not herself within the wood that has been written. As we go forward in faith, let it be done to us according to our faith. Let it be done to us according to our prayers and open our eyes to the truth of Christ that surrounds us as St. John of Damascus helped us understand. St. John of Damascus, pray for us.